0: John chapter eight. It's kind of like John chapter six. It's a long chapter. We won't, we won't finish the chapter even tonight. We've got a few. Uh, probably we'll probably finish it this next week. Uh, but you know, there's fifty nine verses. So we're we're going to cover uh, from verses thirty one through forty seven tonight. Thirty one through forty seven. But we're still in the same conversation that Jesus is having in the temple at, during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he's communicating with uh, Jewish leaders, with Pharisees. And he's communicating with those who, who don't believe in him. Um, uh, previously, he had a, uh, a conversation. Uh, during this conversation, he says he's the light of the world. And he makes these, these bold I am statements. And the, the Pharisees don't know how to handle this because he's declaring and speaking about himself in ways that they believe he's blaspheming and he's he's declaring who he is and they argue and say well you know you're bearing witness about yourself anybody can say that they're the son of god they're the light of the world but there's no one else that bears witness to this and i think the last time i preached on a wednesday i talked about the different witnesses that scripture and the prophecies themselves bore witness to who Jesus was the 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 miracles that Jesus did bore witness to his deity and there, there there were plenty of witnesses for anybody during Jesus's day to recognize that he was the son of God and so he's still this is the context of, of the conversation we're still he's still talking he's still c- communicating uh, to a group of people some that are are um, passionately against him some that are on the fence we left off, I think, last week with the, uh, when Brother Freddie preached and, he, and, and verse 30. It says, some believed. And so we're going to kind of unpack, picking up. We'll actually start in verse 30 and we'll, and we'll continue on to verse 47. There's something, it's an interesting thing that Jesus begins to talk about there. Uh, but b- before we get into that, just to in- introduce the subject. you know, At the core of Christianity, at the core of the Christian faith, is the belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross, he was our, our substitute, and that, and that he took our place, he bore the wrath and the, and the punishment that we deserved because of our sin, and, and that when, you, when, when, when anyone places their faith in that atoning work that Jesus did, they can be born again, and as a result of being born again, their life is transformed. That's, that's the fundamental core of what happens when you become a Christian, there's a transformed life. There is evidence and fruit of a transformed life. And so I, I believe that there are people who can say that they're Christians. Maybe they, they even can say they, 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 they believe in Jesus. They believe that he lived. They believe that he died. They, they may even say that they believe he resurrected. But there's no evidence in their life to demonstrate that they've actually been transformed. And so this is what Jesus is going to unpack here in John 8. Uh, you know Again, if, if we look the very last verse we read last week, it says that as he's discoursing, as he's having this conversation, some people believed in him. But there is a reality that not everyone who says that they believe are actually Christians. Have you ever met somebody like that? You know, I, I, I've, you know they've done surveys throughout the years. Uh, in a, in a, in a, um, in America, and you know the stats show that 50, at certain points, fifty to sixty percent of America says that they're Christians. And I, you know maybe that's the case, but it's hard for me to believe that, that the majority of America possibly are believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, you just look at the way our culture is, um, and so that's a reality in Scripture. And Jesus is about to unpack uh, unpack that because when we left off last week. It was kind of this general thought, okay, hey, some people are believing. You got those that are contrary, that are arguing with Jesus about whether he's the light of the world and claiming that he's a false prophet and he's, he's blasphemed. And then wait a minute, some said that they believed. But let's see what Jesus says here as he unpacks this. Let's look at John 8, and we're just going to read the whole section that we're going to cover, and we'll, we'll go back through it. So John eight thirty through 47. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. That's the last verse from last week. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." They answered him, the ones that had believed in him, they answered him, "We are we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we you will become free?" Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, speaking of Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father and you do not know What you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now, and what were the works that Abraham did? He believed. What did did it say about Abraham? That it was accounted, right? It was accounted to him as righteousness, his faith in God. That was the works that Jesus is referencing there, that, that, that Abraham believed by faith. So they were saying, if, if you are Abraham's children, then you would believe by faith. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I hear from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. What are they saying there? You know, there would have been a perception. There would have been an understanding that, that, that Jesus was born... And that Mary and Joseph uh, was not, were, were, uh, had not come together. And so the idea was, was that they were kind of making a knock at Jesus here. That he was born of sexual immorality. And they, they said, we, we have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow. So, verse 30. Many believed. Does it look like those are true believers to you? (laughs) I'm like, you go through that. Like, you know, again, Jesus is pointing, he's unpacking the true condition of their heart. He sees and knows who they are. And so if you just stopped off in verse 30 and 31, you would think, wait a minute. These are genuine believers in Jesus Christ. They've come to believe in him. But Jesus is the one who knows the heart and recognizes what is on the inside. And so they did not have genuine saving faith. They were not genuinely saved. And so what I see in this section of scripture here. Jesus unpacks for us. It's a very simple message, but to some profound truths. He unpacks for us the elements that make up genuine saving faith. The elements that make up genuine saving faith. So what are the elements that make up genuine saving faith? The first one is this. The first element is this. It has to be a belief in Jesus as the only means of salvation. Belief in Jesus as the only means of salvation. So verse 30 and 31, again, it says that many believed in him. And so he began to talk to the ones that said that they believed in them. So belief is the first element. So it looks like they're good, right? And that's the first step. You must believe that Jesus is the son of God. You have to believe in him by faith. And so they they were tracking there. But then God uncovered and revealed who they really are. But, But this is the first step. In genuine faith, you have to believe. And, and the core of the gospel of John, as we've gone through John, it's centered. the core of it is centered in John 20, verses 30 through 31. It, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the ones that are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life in his name. Belief in Jesus by faith is the, is, is the first step. You have to believe in Jesus. That is the first step of genuine saving faith. It, it's, it's not by works. It's not belief coupled with any other work. Belief in Jesus by faith coupled with any other means does not result in saving faith. It is a belief by faith alone, a part from works. That is, that is the first step. But, but that's, not, that's not where it ends. You have to. There has to be a, a proving out. A demonstration. It has to be a demonstration of the, genuine, the genuineness of that faith. But it is faith alone in Christ. That is a foundation of what it means to be saved. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. It is not faith plus works. It is not faith plus works. It is not faith plus the sacraments. It's not faith plus confession. It's not faith plus church attendance. It's not faith plus anything. It's not faith plus anything that that we believe will merit favor with God. And this is the, the, the equation. This is what it is. Faith in Jesus plus nothing. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's faith. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the first element of genuine saving faith. It's believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And you know, because if, 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 if it was, if works were a part of it, and, and works were a part of the process, then as Paul says in Ephesians 2, then we would have grounds to boast. Then, then we wouldn't need grace. We wouldn't need grace unmerited favor then it would be on the account of our ability to to save ourselves, and so then so then we could pat ourselves on the back and say look what i've done look at my ability to maintain my righteousness and then and then the security of your salvation the security of your salvation would be based upon how you were able to maintain it so so the, the first step is that it's faith alone by grace alone apart from works because you know, there, there's a lot of pressure in your life, if you believe that you're the one that saved yourself, because then that means that you have a sense that you're the one that has to keep saving yourself. You know, I, I remember speaking. I think I've told this story at one other point, but um, I remember talking to this one man, and he, he 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 believed that there was a state of grace that he would keep himself in, and as long as he would maintain his confession of sins, as long as he would maintain. The, the, the keeping of the sacraments and, and he was and he would go to confession and, and mass every day uh, multiple times per day and he he had this sense that, that he would be maintained in the state of grace and I remember having a conversation with him and, and he said that he said that he went into a situation because of his job that he was exposed to some sinful things that were going on in this place of business and um, and so he said that he got out of it. He got out of the situation just in time before he stepped out under the state of grace. And so the, 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 the place that he's putting his trust in, the ground of his trust in his righteousness before God, is on his ability to maintain a state of grace and safety before the Lord. And that's not genuine saving faith. That's, that's placing, where do you place your trust? It, it, it has to be solely and completely Based upon faith, belief, and faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only foundation. So, this, so it's important for us as Christians. We're a group of Christians here. To, this is a Wednesday night crowd, right? We, we believe in Jesus Christ. It's important that you're able to articulate that to people. Like, like that, that is, that is the, the entry point into Christianity. It is, it is apart from works. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What kind of belief did the Jews in John 8 have? What kind of belief did, did they have? It's, it seems to, as we unpack these, these, these scriptures, it wasn't the saving kind. Because eventually Jesus says what? You're, you're of your father, the devil. And I think it's interesting. Jesus says, "If I told you the tr- because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which means the opposite is true. If Jesus would lie to them, they would believe him. Because their father is not God, their father is the devil. It's a pretty, it's pretty sobering and profound statement that Jesus made there. So the, the first element here of genuine saving faith is that you ha, it's, it's based upon faith alone in Jesus Christ. The second element is this. Real simple, second element. Let's look back at John 8, 31. It says, verse 30 says that many believed in him. 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So what's the second element there? First one is faith in Jesus as the son of God. Secondly, it's an abiding love for the truth. An abiding love for the truth. That's what Jesus says here. It says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And that word abide gives the picture of a of a, of, of a lifestyle, of a habitual lifestyle. So if you live in the truth, if you abide in my word, then you truly are my disciples. It's not just this mental assent that I, I believe some facts about Jesus, but, but I don't really believe the, 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 the rest of the teachings of, and the truths of, of Scripture and so I can just believe in Jesus, but really ignore the message of the gospel and the, the message of scripture and the words of Christ. I just have checked off a box of belief. No, that's not genuine saving faith. You start with faith, but then, but then you, you live this sense of abiding in the truth of God's word. You value his word. You love his word. You abide in his truth. Many people in Jesus' time, believed in him because of the miracles. It's, 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 it's easy, right? You can, you can see he's got to be from God. Look at the miracles. Look at the signs. Look at the wonders. And, and, and they could, yes, I, I believe he's, a, he's from God. He has to be the Messiah. He's the son of God. Anyone can say they believe in Jesus, but do they love his words? And you know, Jesus' words were always the separating point. You know, even in our culture today, it's the separating point. People, people, be, people don't mind believing the, what I would call the popular sayings of Jesus. Like the culturally accepted sayings. If you can think of some culturally acceptable sayings of Jesus. Ones that you might even hear. I remember I heard some uh, President Obama. This is, uh, I'm going to read a scripture here that he would always quote. Uh, it's just kind of culturally acceptable. Uh, and, it's, and different leaders, maybe even in, in, uh, in different, uh, like the movie industries or uh, actors and just people that are in popular culture, they don't mind believing in some of these sayings of Jesus, but they don't believe when Jesus starts cutting it straight, starts spe- speaking truth and exposing error, that's whenever the sheep from the wolves get separated. And it's not just a belief in Jesus, it's an abiding in truth that really Separates who's a genuine believer and who's not. So, what are some of those if, off the top of your head? What are some things that you would say that people don't have a hard time saying is true or is good? Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, you be judged. That's a very popular one. Everybody really talks about that, I, actually. That's the one that I wrote. So, what since my wife said it, we'll read that one first. So, wh- where's that found? It's found in Matthew 7 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. Everybody loves that one. Yeah, Jesus is right on. You can't judge me. And people will put bump stickers on their car. Nobody can judge me but God. And when I see that, they put it on T-shirts and I think, you have no idea what you're saying. Nobody can judge you but God. You're absolutely right. And he will one day. And if you are not found in Christ, you don't want that judgment. So they don't mind that, right? No, don't, you can't judge me. What's, what's another one? God is love? Absolutely. That's not on my list. I only put four, but that is absolutely one of them. Yeah, God's love. People don't mind that, right? You've got to love everybody, and God is the epitome of love, and Jesus loved everybody, right? He was full of compassion, and people don't mind talking about Jesus as being compassionate or being loving. What's, what's another one that you guys think of? Hmm? He gives peace. Absolutely. People don't mind talking about the fact that 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 God gives peace. Jesus gives peace. Come on, guys. You you got it. You got it. Yeah, man. That's a that's that's another one. Now that's not really a saying of Jesus, but that's something that man. There's a a, a sports guy, uh, Stephen Curry, my son's favorite basketball player. Uh, he actually he actually takes Christ out of the scripture. Because uh, I think Under Armour would probably r- remove the sponsorship. But he puts, I can do all things. <laughs> so he kind of rips it out of context there. But yeah, it's, who, yeah, it's from the Bible. And, and you know, uh, they don't mind believing that. Yeah, I can do all things. That's great. You know? Anything else? Forgives anything? Jesus talks about, yeah. People don't mind believing that they can be forgiven. So here's some other ones. Matthew twenty-five forty. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. President Obama, he was, he, I heard him say this scripture all the time. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's great. It's a great saying. You've got to take care of the poor, the least of these. You've got to care for those who can't care for themselves. And people will even use that scripture to promote some political agendas that they have, right? They'll use that scripture. Matthew seven twelve. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Everybody loves that scripture. That's okay. Jesus, you are right. You are true. Everyone should treat each other fairly. We should do anything anybody else that we wouldn't want to happen to us. Matthew 7, 1, as we quoted, judge not, that you be not judged. And then Matthew 23, 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Go ahead, Jesus. That's good. I agree with you, Jesus. But what happens when Jesus starts talking crazy? John 6, 53 through 57. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. Whoo! Jesus, this whole not judging stuff, I'm tracking with you. But this eating of the flesh and drinking of your blood, you are out of your mind. If you don't do that, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. What is Jesus saying here? He's not literally saying we've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But what he's saying is, is that through him through his flesh being sacrificed on the cross and his blood being shed for the sacrifice of our sins, for the atoning of our sins. Through that sacrifice, it's that ultimate belief and commitment to, to that sacrifice. You have to go all in with Jesus. It's not just this, this mental ascent. Yes, yeah, G- Jesus taught good things and he, and he had good uh, teachings about life and, and and not judging and loving others and feeding the poor. No, it's... it's it's, it's not just that belief that he was good and he said good things. It was, you have to believe this. You have to go all in with Jesus. And what, and what happens in John, if, you, if we continue on, fast forward a little bit. And when many of his disciples, John six sixty, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. They, I guarantee you they didn't disagree with all, these, all the other sayings of Jesus about not judging and taking care of the least of these and... But this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, his disciples, his disciples, those that said that they believed in him. This is, again, the same type of picture we see in John 8. Many believed in him. But when it came to his words, that's the key. It came down to his words. When Jesus says, I'm the only way, you can only find life through me, that begins to be the separating point. And you, you, you could have called people in John 8, disciples. Listen to this. It says, his disciples were gumbling, grumbling about this. They said to them, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The, the, the flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. You know, you're claiming to be a disciple. I'm calling you our disciple. I'm speaking to you as disciples. But there's some of you who really do not believe. You're following me because of different reasons. But not really because of who I am. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. And he said, verse 65, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples... Proved. I'm going to paraphrase this. Many of his his disciples proved who they really were. That they weren't genuine disciples in the first place. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Their faith was not genuine. Because if their faith was genuine, they would have continued. But when the words got difficult, it separated the sheep from the goats. Many people today... They have no problem with the popular words of Jesus. But when it starts, when people start talking, preachers start preaching and start saying Jesus is the only way, people start getting offended. Because that's not our our culture. We're a a tolerant culture. You know, I was listening to, um, you guys ever heard of Carlton Pearson? So Carlton Pearson is a very famous preacher. um, I think probably um, early 90s. Uh, late 80s early 90s mid 90s and then he just kind of like went crazy and he started preaching that that everybody's gonna go to heaven that there is no hell and that um just kind of kind of kind of did the rob bell thing before rob bell did his thing and um and so I, i listened to this interview Stella and I did. And actually, Joel and Ellie, we just listened to it as a family. You know, like if you watch a video on, on your phone, like videos on your cell phone are like magnets for your kids. They come from all over the house. It's like video. Oh, we got to watch a video. Like they're just something with videos and children. And I didn't necessarily want them to watch the video. There wasn't anything wrong with it, but they just like came and started watching. So then I had to, I had to help them process what Carlton Pearson uh, and Megan Kelly were saying. So Megan Kelly, I was interviewing him on her talk show and so they made a movie about Carlton Pearson on Netflix and it's basically they showed a clip and, and they're portraying Carlton Pearson as the victim. Right? He's the victim. He, he is being victimized by fundamentalists from, from, from Christianity. Fundamental Christians who are intolerant are victimizing Carlton Pearson because they're saying he lost everything. He lost his church, 6,000 member church. He lost his money. He, he lost everything because he, he was a heretic. And he abandoned the faith, and rightfully so. If you pastor an evangelical church, you start preaching things that aren't biblical, I hope somebody in the church will kick you out, right? I mean, that that should be what happened. So he got what he deserved, but they're portraying him as a victim. So things are kind of coming full circle for him. And why is it coming full, full circle for him? Because people like to be lied to. This is what John 8, Jesus said in John 8, If I told you, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. But if I lied to you, you would celebrate me. And at the end of the interview, Megan Kelly looks at Carlton Pearson and she, she said, thank you for being courageous in the face of such evil. Thank you for, for standing for what you believe against this evil and hateful people. And, and I just was like, whoa, this is where we are in our culture. And we, we, I, I, I knew that. You know, we can all see that. But I'm hateful and I'm evil and you are, too. Because you believe what the Bible says. That's scary. Scary times we live in. You know. I. I, uh, I don't know. It was a, a, while, a while back. Not, not not a while back. Just a few, few weeks ago. A couple months. Still can help me out. Joel told her. Said mommy. We really need to pray for daddy. She said well why do we need to pray for daddy? He said because. He's going to have to. He's going to have to preach what's true and right. And people aren't going to agree with it. And He was speaking specifically about certain cultural things in our culture that, uh, that aren't, aren't biblical. And that's true. You, we, we need to pray. You need to pray for me that I stand faithful to the scripture. They don't compromise, given depression. And we need to pray for our pastors and our community around the world that they don't do a Carlton Pearson or like any of those other pastors that do that. We stand for truth. Some interesting times, but if we told lies, that's so what makes false teachers popular because when they tell lies, people want to hear the lies because the lies tell them what they want to hear, not tell them what they need to know. This is a quote by Francis Schaeffer. He says, People imagined that by denying the existence of absolute truth and by throwing off the shackles of biblical morality that they would be set free. Instead, they find themselves only more empty and enslaved to destructive passions. That, that's our culture right there. They want to throw out moral absolutes and they want to say there's no absolute truth, because absolute truth and moral absolutes in their mind enslaves them. So they throw them off. And anyone that, that wants, to, wants to preach moral absolutes and, and absolute truth, they're evil and they're wrong and they're hateful, they're trying to restrain me. And so in their attempt, in their attempt to be free, they become enslaved to their passions. And it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ can a man O woman, be free, truly free. And this is what Jesus is saying in John 8. He's saying if the Son sets you free, you will be f- truly free. And what did they say? What did the, these people who, who supposedly believed in him say? We've never been enslaved. If you believe you've never been enslaved, then you are not even in, you're not even at first base as concerning the gospel. You have to believe that you were enslaved to sin, to truly be set free and be set free indeed. They didn't recognize their sinfulness because their father was Abraham. They were placing their trust in something else other than Christ. So the first element is faith. The second element is an abiding in truth. You have to have a love. So so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to love his words. You're going to love his truth. You're going to abide in his truth. You're going to continue in his truth. And and one clear evidence and proof that somebody's really not a believer is that they, they can... They can do without his word. And when it gets difficult, they cut and run. Third element. Third, third element. Is that you, you have to have a life that demonstrates the power of the gospel. Starts with faith in Jesus. And then it's a life that is committed to the words of God. To the truth of God. And that truth of God begins to shape your life. So, so you, can, you can believe that Jesus is God, and you can say, yes, I believe in, your, in his words, but if that belief and that declaration that I, I love his word and I believe his word doesn't actually start being fleshed out in your life, then what you declare really is not true. It has to ultimately culminate in changed behavior. Change behavior has to happen. There has to be a life transformation that takes place, and this is what Jesus is saying in John eight. Let's read John eight thirty. Let's go back thirty one through thirty six. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth. And what's going to happen? Starting with the belief, and then the knowing of the truth, and the truth will set you free. There will be a transformation." They answered him, we, we, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say that you will become free? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You cannot say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and have genuinely believed and say you love his word if you have a lifestyle of sin. That's what the word practice means. It's the same picture of abiding, right? If you abide in Christ and in his word... But if you say you abide in his word, but you actually abide and are enslaved and have a lifestyle of sin, something doesn't match up there. You're enslaved to sin. You, you cannot practice sin because if you practice, you have a, a lifestyle of sin. You're a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed, if you have genuine faith and the word of God has transformed your mind and your heart you will be free indeed. You're not, you're not going to live a perfect life. This is a process of sanctification. But the continual pattern of your life will be righteousness. It won't be slavery to sin. This is what Paul says uh, in Romans 6, 15 through 18. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching, to the truth of God's word, that you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is, this is, this is the fleshing out of the genuine faith. We're no longer slaves to sin. I don't, I don't have to give in to the fleshly impulses of, of sin. I'm, not, I'm no longer a slave. And that's why, when, you know, whenever grace is preached, that it's salvation apart from works and it's by grace. That's why Paul earlier in chapter 6 says, says, Because grace abounds, shall we continue in sin? And Paul says, By no means, God forbid. How can somebody who has died to sin live any longer in it? And that's the idea that when you have genuinely believed in Jesus Christ and you have been abiding in his word, you are dead to sin. You've been crucified in Christ and you are risen to newness of life. You will not be a slave to sin. You will not practice a lifestyle of sin because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. And so there's not two masters. You you have one. You can only have one. It's either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Slave to unrighteousness or you're a slave to Christ. You belong to him. Someone can claim to believe in Jesus. They can say that they love his word. But if their life produces a pattern of unrighteousness, they do not belong to Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. Someone can claim to believe in Jesus. They can say that they love his word. But if their life produces a pattern of unrighteousness, they do not belong to Christ. That's the reality. And that message, this, this reality, this truth is what makes it difficult for people to believe. It's hard. It's hard. Because casual Christianity is easy, right? It's, it's just a, it's a convenient thing. Hey, yeah, I, I can believe in Jesus and that can be a part of my life, but then I can have another life and I can live how I want to live on the side. But that's not genuine Christianity. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ is, is a dying to ourselves, a complete surrender of our life. And it's submitting to new ownership, to change of, of our lives, complete transformation. Jesus explains this in detail in Matthew 13. You guys remember the parable of the sower? Let's look at Matthew 13, 18 through 23. He, he talks about it and then he explains it. Tells the parable and then he, here he explains it. Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, it is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it. Kind of like John 8 there. Immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, the words get hard. Persecution comes, it's difficult, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches can't serve two masters the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves it proves unfruitful now here's saving faith as for what was sown on good soil what's good soil it's the soil of the heart that's been prepared by the spirit what's sown on good soil this is the one who hears understands believes and what 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 happens You hear, you understand, you believe, and then what is going to happen? Produces, indeed, bears fruit. Faith, an abiding in the word, and a transformed life. You hear, you understand, you believe, and then you bear fruit. And it yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, and and then another 30. And that picture there of the different types of Yielding in the fruit is the picture of the process of sanctification. where How we're all at different levels of bearing fruit. But we're bearing fruit. You will bear fruit. You may not be bearing as much fruit as, as, as you are. Like when you first get saved, you're bearing some fruit. Christ does an, an immediate work in your life. And you have some things that immediately fall off. But then you've got some unresolved bitterness and anger and, and unforgiveness that, that is in your heart. And, and you start bearing more fruit. And you eventually continue to bear fruit. But you're going to bear fruit if the seed of God's word is sown on a heart that is prepared by the Holy Spirit and it takes root. You believe, you understand, and you will bear fruit. It's genuine faith. It's genuine saving faith. You know what this type of teaching does? It affirms. If you're here tonight and you've doubted your salvation and you felt like, I, I just don't know. You can know that you're a believer. You can know. You can know. Because you can look at your life and you can say, hey, yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but the pattern of my life is righteousness. I'm bearing fruit. I'm, I, I forgive when I've been offended. I'm patient whenever I'm tempted to not be. I, I turn and look away whenever I, whenever I have a temptation to stare. I look away. I say no, I reject sin. That's the proof and the evidence of genuine saving faith. You can know. If you're doubting tonight, you can know. Yeah, I am a believer. I am a believer. But maybe you're here tonight and you think, you know, maybe the pattern of of my life is is not righteousness. The consistent pattern is unrighteousness. And I love my sin more than I love Christ. If that's you tonight, surrender to Christ. Submit to him. This is what we believe about the power of the gospel. For those whom the Holy Spirit has drawn to himself and prepared their hearts, the seed of God's word will take root in them. And their lives will produce an abundant harvest of good works that declare the goodness of God in a dark world. What's the point of our good deeds? Why do we produce fruit? To, to, to glorify God. We're not producing good works so that, as I said earlier, we can maintain our right standing with God. We're not producing good works so somebody can look at us and say, man, you're, 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 you're pretty awesome. You're doing a good job. Great job. Great job. We're doing it because of what Matthew five thirteen through 16 says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's not genuine faith. If you're not salty, if you're not demonstrating something in the midst of a tasteless world, it's, it's good for nothing just to be trampled under feet. It's, it's chaff. When the wind blows, there's nothing there. But, genuine saving faith, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I love that picture. People always read that and they say, don't hide, don't hide the light. Don't hide the light. Don't put a bushel over the light. It says, you are the light, and it cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. You can try to put a basket over it, but it cannot be hidden. You can try to put a bushel over it, it cannot be hidden. If you are genuinely in the light, if you are in the light, it will shine. It will shine. A city sitting on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. If you light a lamp, you're not going to put it under a basket. It's going to be on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let them see your good deeds. So why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? I want to pray. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that that would be the passion of our heart, and I'm going to pray that God would use us to be salt and light in in our world. I, I loved Jacob's message on Sunday. Didn't he do an incredible job? If if, if you weren't here on Sunday, I encourage you. Uh, the The video is on is on uh, the the YouTube channel. And I just want to say this real quick: go subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed to it, we're trying to get at least a hundred subscribers because. Uh, we, can, we can control the advertisers, the advertisers. We can, we can control things better with at least 100. So we have 32 right now. So go click subscribe so we can uh, get some more subscribers. I've been wanting to say that on the Sunday, but I keep forgetting to say it. Um, yeah, if you go to our Living Word Church website, uh, livingwordhoma.com, and you click on the media tab, uh, you go to videos or YouTube, click on it, and it'll go to the YouTube link. Click the subscribe button. Yeah, that was a segue there. Um, yeah, Jacob did a great job. So go watch his message; it's on YouTube right now. And and I just loved what he said. I loved the heart of what he said, and and, and this idea that we're a church of over a thousand ministers, right? I love it. Like that's that's the that's what I, that's what I want, would want to be said of our church. That we are a church of over a thousand ministers. We're not a church of 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 we we have. Uh, uh, nine pastors uh, uh, including myself we're not a church of nine ministers we're we're a church of over a thousand ministers because if you're in Christ you are the light of the world if you've been genuinely saved and you abide in his word your life's going to produce fruit and you are the light of the world you're a minister of the gospel Amen. God I thank you for your word I thank you for the truth of your word and that it does abide in us it has place in our heart and Lord I just pray that you would You'd help us, God. you help us to, to, to be witnesses for you. Help us in every area of our influence that you've given us, God, to, to declare your truth. I pray that our good works, our good deeds would testify of the power of the gospel to transform someone's life. God, and this is what we believe, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we believe your words. We believe that you are the only way to salvation. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, that's what we believe. And God, we love your words. We love your truth. And, and that truth, God, has transformed our life. And I pray that you would help us to be more conformed into the image of your son every single day, to be like him, so that people can look and can see the glory of Christ as it's demonstrated in our life. But I thank you for these truths. Lord, bless your people tonight. pray that they would, they would be encouraged and strengthened in, in their faith.